Welcome to Talent First. This season of Talent First is the CISO season, where I talk to CISOs and leaders in cybersecurity to dispel some common myths around security careers and entries in, and to discuss where the role is heading in this AI age. What better way to start than by chatting to Chris Brown, CISO and CEO of New Cyber Executive, who talks to me here about how CISOs can move from being solitary guardians to collaborative leaders. He offers some fantastic and actionable advice to those in the CISO role about how to create and maintain better working relationships with the C-suite and the board. I always enjoy my chats with Chris, and I'm certain you will too. Chris, thank you for joining me today. Um, I know you've got an awful lot going on and we met virtually at a roundtable a while ago and we've been saying for a while that we're going to record a podcast and, and now here we are. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Michelle. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Not a problem. So I always like to start by asking guests to introduce themselves, their career journey so far. How did you get into the industry? Um, so, yeah, over to you. Sure, thank you. I have a, a cheeky answer and then a more serious answer to how I got into this. <laughs> when I was in um, seventh grade, I was introduced to the Apple IIe. And at that point, you had to put a floppy disk in to boot it up. And then I learned that there's this thing called programming. And the first program I wrote was to change um, start.bass so that it asked for a password. So I often say that's when it started, that you know I was always thinking in these terms. Uh, but more literally, was a programmer uh, by college training, uh, started that, system administration, and then quickly moved into an operations role. And that operations role had responsibility for security. And then eventually, uh, after doing that for a little while and doing it well, I was asked by the consulting side of the house to join them, being a security consultant. After that, became a CISO for the first time. And since then, I've bounced back and forth between either executive roles, consulting roles, or second mints, where I'm a consultant acting in an executive role up to the present day, or up until about two years ago when I became an executive coach to CISOs. So that's the short version of my journey. So would you say that you've had a fairly traditional route into the industry? I would say absolutely yes. Um, you know, and we'll, we'll, would love to talk a little bit about non-traditional uh, routes into the industry, but I myself had a head of classic route, right? computer science degree, technical background, always had an interest in security from the get-go, worked that direction from a variety of roles, from system administrator to programmer, and got into security relatively early on as a technical person, um, and then moved into management from there. So very, very classic way to get into cybersecurity. CISOs succeed, and CISOs maybe not quite succeed, and have seen that happen enough, particularly on the consulting side, to understand some of the things that go into success and some of the things that often trip up people. And so that gives me a base from which to start. Uh, and then, of course, also as part of my coaching, I help CISOs through challenges regularly. Uh, and then I do research as well. So the research is um, social-based research, qualitative, and um, interview folks about their career journey, much like you are a little bit right now, um, but get really specific on questions and causes 
um, that are designed to to not to break the the rote responses um, and get a little bit deeper. So so some background there that that gives me a good place to start. But I I say that because everybody's challenges are unique and individual, and there are some universals, but but they're not specifics about tactics. They are universals about being a human being and how to do that better, which makes you a better CISO. Do you think there's um, an increase in demand for your role as a, a consultant to CISOs? Have you seen that? So honestly, there's a lot of stigmatism around the word coach. It has a long history of being misused as somebody to uh, convince you to quit <laughs> or, help you, or help you leave an organization or it's the last step before you're fired. And so there isn't a lot of natural demand because of that understanding. Once people understand what it is, absolutely there's interest. And it's more about disentangling what a coach does versus what a strategist does, which I also help with, versus what a mentor or a consultant does, because those are different things. The basic difference between a consultant and a coach is that the consultant comes in with specialized knowledge. And in that knowledge domain, they are above you, right? They bring that and you're more junior to them. In a mentor role, it's often about the career path or... I want to move on to talk about the book that you're writing. So you're in the throes of writing a book at the moment. Your first book, is that right? It is my first book. It's uh, daunting and exciting at the same time. And it's I'm about eight weeks in, first draft is done. Gosh. And cool. yeah, I'm in second or first round of edits. Um, I have a great book coach. So talk about the value of a book coach. They know nothing about cybersecurity, but they're helping me figure out how to write a book, right? So AI leaders probably in the next year or two, because it helps with domains where the leader's domain is not understood and how to connect with people in ways that are not based on the default path of working with technical people my entire career, but is based on broader ideas. And so the idea behind this book is it introduces people to models, concepts, approaches, and bridges, CISOs in particular, that allow them to be more effective as a business executive, as opposed to a technical leader. Both are important, but most, most CISOs that stop growing stop because of the technical leader mindset. It's valuable, but it's not a, where leaders need to be 100% of the time. So, what does that look like and how is that how could that be different do you think there's still a misconception i was writing about this today actually that the the CISO role is a highly highly technical role and that very often those kind of human skills are not negated but kind of swept under the carpet a little bit so there's a real good reason for some of the behavior around emphasis on technical skill and if we think about what it takes to run a program or what it takes to take in the whole picture. It requires exposure and deep knowledge in certain areas. It can kind of be any network security, application security, because once you learn deeply, the fundamentals are there around what to think about and how to think about security. But it also requires going very broad so that the entry point is tough because it requires a deep depth of knowledge in a particular area to see the whole picture in that area. And then across cyber, same thing. And so there's natural mechanisms in the community to make sure that people are getting that and living up to that. That default muscle, that default behavior 
works against us as business executives. So there's good reasons for it, but it has places where it backfires and business leadership is one of them. Mm. Yeah, yeah, good. I'm glad that you, that, that's the kind of thing that I said today, but I'm glad that <laughs> I'm on the right track with that. I'm glad we agree. It's always nice to agree with the person. <laughs> um, so how have you found the writing process? Um, so this is where I learned about myself through the coaching process. It is very hard for me to write anything longer than several paragraphs. So what I do is I speak. Speaking is my writing process. And so I hired somebody to interview me, um, somebody who's written books and knows about that and also has a deep cybersecurity background because they created an audience for me to speak to. And so identifying that as a holdup and creating an audience for me to speak to that was tangible and in front of me helped make me helped me do it in a much faster way. So writing was terrible, speaking was pretty good, editing's gonna be messy because interviews don't translate to writing really well, but that was an unlock for me. That, that made it so much easier, was figuring out how I could get ideas out of my head and onto paper. So that said, it was still a lot of work and a lot of time. Um, you know, a finished book probably has several hundred hours invested into it, and I'm well on track to, to doing that. That's fantastic. So what's the future of the book then? Do you know when kind of a publishing date or? Targeting April. I have uh, two propo proposals in RSA, and who knows if it happens or if it lines up. But it'd be really nice to be able to speak a little bit about the concepts in the book at RSA which my proposed talks overlap with in the book. Um, but one, one, one way or the other, it'll be April, about April um, and uh, probably do a pre-release in March, whatever the 90-day period is that Amazon lets you do a pre-release. So, And the book will be in, I'm probably going to read it myself too because I just want it to be available to everybody in all formats that work for everyone, whether it's audio, hard copy, or, or some type of digital format. How exciting. How exciting. Yeah. In my previous life, I was an English teacher. So I, obviously, all English teachers have got a book, you know, that they're desperate to write. So I can't think of anything more exciting than seeing your name in print. And, you know, yeah, I just think it's wonderful. So, so yeah, lots of luck with that. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing that. So let's go back to, we, we mentioned the non-traditional routes into cybersecurity. So we talked previously in one of our chats about how we'd get people into this industry. Um, I mean, there's a separate conversation that we can have about, you know, skills gaps and talent gaps and whether or not they're a thing. Um, but I think that's a whole different conversation. But I'm really interested in this very real idea that, you you know, these non-traditional routes into cybersecurity are maybe the, the way forward for the industry. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. What does that actually look like? And what are the advantages for organizations who are going to be taking a chance on people maybe that haven't come from those traditional routes in? Yeah, so I'll preface this by saying that some of the strongest CISOs that I've witnessed in action or have spoken to, more likely than not, have some diverse aspect of their background. Perhaps they ran a small business for a while. Perhaps they started off in education. Perhaps they started in sales and product development. They tend to come to the to the table with a richer picture of what companies face and are often more steeped in the language that resonates more quickly 
with their audiences because they're non-technical and they understand how to frame things in non-technical ways. That's a core skill. The business acumen and the mindset and the mind of the listener, however, is sometimes different. And so this is where diversity comes into play. And I mean this in all forms, right? So it is somebody who came up a non-traditional role. It is cognitive diversity. It is experiential diversity. It's regional and geographic and national diversity um, because those mindsets provide a richer way to communicate a bigger set of tools and a broader understanding of how the world works, for lack of a better word, that allows us all to do better. So just imagine, right? for example, you've got five senior cybersecurity leaders and they're trying to figure out how to communicate to leadership to make a compelling case. Well, if one of them has a marketing background, you automatically have more tools. There's a balance here, right? So that benefit I talked about of having that notion that you have to be really good at what you do technically, while it creates a lot of strong technical people, it also eliminates a lot of high potential people that can contribute, not perhaps on the command line, but in terms of strategy and thinking and planning, and certainly in terms of communication, building networks, building relationships later. And so we've got this ideal right at the individual contributor level, but then when we get past that, we're missing core skills that help managers, directors, and other executives succeed. Now, if we can paint that picture to people coming into the field and saying, hey, we need your skills, we need this perspective, we need this mindset, we're gonna do our best to get you through the technical bits, but we're not gonna hold it against you if you're not at the same technical level as everybody around you, because you're contributing in other ways. If we can frame conversations that way, one, people will feel more welcome. And two, people will start to understand through demonstrated leadership hiring and selection that it isn't all technical. And it particularly isn't technical all the way up to the top. And so those are just some of the ways. We talked about a book. I'm like, already, you know, you start writing a book and you're already on your third, fourth book in your head. One of the books I'd love to write targets younger people and explains this concept to them in a way that it's obvious so that young women, people without a deep technical interest, but have an interest in protection or risk or some of these other concepts, see a path for themselves and opt in. So those are just a couple ideas. Obviously, there's tons we could cover here. You know, child childhood development, early career development is a rich area. But this whole concept that we are choking off talent that we need later in the early stages is a, a big component of, I think, what holds us back as a field. Do you think that there's an, a chance that if we're not careful, cybersecurity could become quite an elitist profession so that if we stay down this idea that, you know, you have to go to, you know, you have to do a, a degree and then a master's degree in computing or cybersecurity, and then you have to get, you know, an alphabet of qualifications, which are all very costly. Do you think there is a chance that this industry is going to become quite elitist and, and like you say we're going to miss out on this whole swathe of talent who are interested and willing to learn and so on but can't afford to do all of that stuff i i would i think it's kind that you're saying that it might become elitist <laughs> um there are certainly pockets of elite elitism absolutely 
um, there probably are in most technical and engineering type firms or professions. I think elitism peaked a couple of years ago, frankly. Okay. You know, from the inside, from seeing it myself, from the huge salaries, from everything that contributes to that sense of elitism, including that culture at the beginning, I think people are starting to see the downstream repercussions of that elitism. And from my view of the industry, and certainly I don't have an entire view, but I do talk to a lot of people. I think we are reaching the point where we have problem awareness, where there isn't solution awareness. So um, there's a sense something's going wrong. We're still not getting a seat at the table, or many people aren't. We still don't feel a part of the team. So many of these things that we as CISOs say, we're starting to hear it enough that some people are picking up, hey, something, something's just not working where that solution is, and it's gonna to have to be collectively figured out, and I only have some ideas, where that solution is gonna land, we have yet to figure out. But I see heads and hearts opening to trying different things. One piece of evidence related to this is that if you look at the stats of women in cyber, at the, at the more technical entry junior levels, it's pretty good, or it's actually, it's downright terrible, but pretty good compared to what it used to be. Right. At the CISO level, the rate of participation is higher for women than at the ranks below. This should tell us something about what the future holds. The, this diversity, this different way of thinking, this different way of working, the, the soft skills are creating an advantage at that level. And we're starting to see that level lead the change. How do we help accelerate that along all dimensions? at every level. I think diversity and, and women in security, we definitely need to do another podcast because I think that's a that's a, a huge conversation as well about, you know, getting women up to the, the CISO and, and getting women onto the board as well and why there's an exodus at about the age of 35. There's, there's an awful lot going on there. You know, there are organisations that are willing to see beyond the traditional route. Um, and look, for organisations, regardless of size, um, it's going to take confidence to go beyond the traditional and that's in terms of qualifications and recruitment methods or whatever it might be because it could be very costly if you put your energies and your trust into somebody doesn't work out you know it, it could have all sorts of terrible consequences so I understand from both sides that you know at some point taking on who, someone who's truly entry level like really properly entry level, it's risky. it is risky. And it also means that you're gonna to have to have someone who can mentor. But if there is a, I talked to somebody the other day who said that it's not a skills gap, it's an experience gap. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just thought that was a really, a really interesting way of putting it. Do you think there are any roles that, you know, definitely without a doubt need to go down that very specific degree, master's degree, cybersecurity, computing, whatever it might be route? I'm gonna say, there are benefits to advanced degrees but there are ways to operate and organize that do not make them universally required for anything we have a lot of great talent and purely curiosity driven um internally motivated people that for one reason or another college is not for them and we see, i see organizations starting several years ago reducing the requirement for even four-year degrees to down to two-year degrees or no degree at all. And given the 
challenges that we face as an industry, being more open to that is important. However, especially when it's put into a mixed group where they can help one another. So I just want to turn our attention to a topic that I know that you discuss a lot, which is it's often misunderstood, if not, I kind of ignored a little bit, and that's this these feelings of isolation that CISOs perhaps feel in the role. So yeah, the causes and effects of isolation. So I wonder if you could, again, just talk a little bit about that. Sure. A um, couple, couple of background notes. Um, I recently saw a survey, and I can't remember who it was, and I apologize, whoever the, the creator of the survey was. It might have been Isaka. It might have been another group. Uh, I can try and get the link later, and we can drop it somewhere. But it, it talked about the biggest burnout challenges that CISOs face. And the survey put isolation at roughly 30%. And there were a number of other factors that contributed in this self-reported survey. What I have found through the coaching process, when people go deep into the challenges that they face, be that lack of budget, lack of support, not being heard, the business not picking up cybersecurity responsibilities. There's like eight of them. It all connects with this idea of isolation, this feeling of isolation and this creation of self-isolation. Going deep into these challenges often leads with my clients down the path of questioning assumptions about how the CISO views other people viewing them. And that's both, I think they like me, I think they hate me, and what the CISO role actually is and how other people conceive of it and getting some agreement on that because it's often not talked about. Those are things that break isolation and can only be done when, when one steps out and determines that they are not going to continue to isolate themselves and stand apart from the business and other executives and go build relationships. It's not everything, but it is the unlock for a lot of the challenges that CISOs face and feel frustrated by because they're not being heard, because they don't have relationships, because they feel they're fighting this battle alone and other people are not listening. That dramatically changes when the CISO steps in out of a technical leader role and steps into being a member of the CEO's team. And that mindset of being a member of the CEO's team pulls CISOs out of isolation pulls CISOs out of being a standalone, often shunned, technically focused, specific topic focused leader and helps them contribute in broader ways that people then see value in. It helps them connect better with the pains, thorns, goals, and aspirations of other executives, which automatically engenders collaboration and it changes the tone of the conversation. I had a client who two weeks ago had been a client for three months and he just started showing up to sessions happy. Just like serious, heavy for the first three months, lots of stress, some trepidation about how am I doing? And we worked on relationships and there was two conversations that this client had that changed this client's world. Better relationship with a boss, better relationship with what I would say somebody that the client thought was against them, that was a peer in the organization on the technical side. I almost say he's a different person. 
that had nothing to do with program. That had nothing to do with technology. That had nothing to do with being really technically smart. He's less stressed. He's more happy because of two better relationships. That's powerful. Just imagine the weight that comes off of any, any CISO who's listening to this. If that one or two challenging relationships was no longer and you stopped putting energy into it that was dragging you down. Multiply that over a bunch of issues. Look downstream and realize you're going to be heard in meetings more. People are going to pay attention more to what you're saying because one, you've shown you care about them and two, you're speaking their language. That's powerful. That's way more powerful than designing the perfect program or doing the perfect assessment or having the perfect risk register or any of these things. And it solves a bunch of problems. Not completely, but significantly. I have seen people go from, I think I'm going to switch careers, my clients, to, you know, I can do this. And we need our heavy hitters as an industry and as a field. We can't afford to lose these people. As you said, it's experience-based. It's not knowledge-based. And people with 10, 15, even 20 years of experience are leaving the field because factors largely born from not having those relationships and not having the tools and skills to develop them. And in some cases, having the mindset that creates and sets up an adversarial interaction with these key peers and, and leaders. So yes, I'm very passionate about it because I see the impact of it. And um, stepping back to the book for a second, the book talks about some ways to do this. The mindsets, the tools, the approaches, um, and even at the end, some ways to keep yourself accountable for not losing track of it and going back to default. Because that's easy to do. It's very easy for us as technical people to, uh, what's the new thing? What's the new thing of vulnerability? What's the latest tech? What is this vendor offering? I got to get in there and do it myself sometimes. Even at Fortune 500 companies, I see people doing that occasionally. And stepping back from that and, and thinking about, what it means to be, as I said, a member of the CEO's team and what that requires. So it's about the CISO checking in with the C-suite, the CEO, as opposed to waiting patiently for someone to come check in with them or? Check-in might be one part of it. So it is, you know, I, I think of this in three parts and I won't be able to give it full justice here, right? So the first is part is a listening tour. The listening tour is, a couple questions of your key stakeholders. It is, what's important to you? How are you measured? I'm missing one in there. <laughs> what's important to you? How, how are you measured? What do you, um, you know, what are the thorns for you? And understanding what their challenges are. You know, for a, a CFO, it might be quarter close. Once you sort of understand quarter close is a really stressful time, now you can start tailoring your engagement. You're not showing up five days before quarter close and seven days before the um, stockholder meeting asking for whatever, because you know, you understand what challenges they face. And that's a very simple example, but do that over and over for somebody. And all of a sudden they, they start to appreciate what you're doing for them, right? So that's the listening tour. The listening tour results in almost this type of understanding and empathy that makes people like you better and appreciate what you're doing to make their life easier. The next step is, and this should be separate, right? So this is one round. You do this with eight, 10 people perhaps. 
And then a while later, separate meeting has to be separate. Otherwise it gets confusing. What's the intent here? And people think maybe you're hustling them, right? You don't want to come across as hustling them. So the second round of meetings is around and let them tell you. And what tends to happen out of this is the organization has different ideas of what the CISO is. And unless you reconcile that, you automatically fail because you're not going to reach all of them. You can't be all those things. So part of this is hearing what that is and using that as a starting place for you to determine what it needs to be where you are right now. At this point, it kind of makes sense to go back and say, okay, I, I talked to these people and here's what I heard. And from our conversation, I'm going to take the three of the four pieces you said, because it largely matches with what everybody else says. I can't do everything, so I'm not going to be that fourth thing. Can I work with you to figure out how we accomplish the fourth thing that isn't in my remit? And then finally, a totally separate round. You show up and you say, how am I doing? And the only reason you can legitimately ask that question is because you've already discussed what doing a good job is and agreed to it. It is always a bad idea to show up and ask, how am I doing? Without context and without setup, but it happens a lot. And we become, my clients become, everybody I've ever talked to becomes frustrated by the lack of concrete guidance. Well, you know what, folks? You didn't help anybody create concrete guidance for you because you didn't set up the conversation and the understanding. So that's a three-part process. And if, if you can do that as a CISO, boom, it's gonna change your career. I've seen it change careers. So this whole idea of um, the realities of the CISO experience, this thing around isolation, the challenges that we face, the common complaints we hear from our peers and CISO affinity groups, a lot of that can be reduced, not on program, not on technical, and frankly, not even leading your own team. It's outward facing. That's where the solutions to these big, currently seemingly unsolvable challenges are. So that's my longer-ish view on isolation and how we, how we tend to do this to ourselves and the steps we can use to overcome it. But when you say it, it's uh, so simple that, you know, you engage in conversation. And I was just thinking to myself when you were talking there, the crossover between what you, you were just saying and actually teaching is pretty incredible because, you know, like I say, back in my previous life as a teacher, I would set a task, I would model how to do it, and then I would send them on their way and the pupils would do the task, but we would have a rubric. And then they would come back and they would say, how am I doing? And I would say, well, let's look at the rubric and what we said would make a good piece of work or whatever it is. How do you think you're doing against that rubric? So that that kind of, I was when you were talking then, I was just thinking that crossover is pretty remarkable actually, because it's the same thing, like you say, if you don't have this defined set of, not standards, but targets or goals or understandings, whatever you you know want to call it, how are you going to you know then evaluate how the work is going? Do you? This is a cheeky question, and you can you can you can answer it. Or I like cheeky. Go for it. <laughs> so, when you you know when you talking to CISOs, have you ever come across CEOs who are reluctant to build those relationships with CISOs because they still have that? kind of view of the CISO being the blocker, the you know, professor no kind of thing. So do you still see a reluctance from the C-suite to really engage with the CISO in that way? Yes, but perhaps not for the reasons that we assume. 
there is the Mr. No thing, right? Or Mrs. No. That tends to happen less now. People just tend not to make it to the more senior levels if that's the default mode. Sometimes it happens. You know, certain industries are more tolerant of that, especially ones that debate to learn and design. Engineering firms, law firms, like those are great places for no's because you, somebody's going to argue back and you're just going to toss it out, right? It doesn't work well in most industries. So people are not succeeding doing that and not getting promoted, right? People, the, the, the leadership is seeing that attitude and doesn't want to deal with it. What I have seen frustrating for clients is a CEO that's just too busy to give it a lot of time. And that's true of most CEOs. Some CEOs are worried enough to give it time regardless, but often it's the design of the approach that creates this burden on the CEO to do a lot in a short period of time and be the answer to everything. And so I'm gonna share another method, and this has been around forever, but this is an area where other executives do this well and technical executives like CISOs tend not to. And that is shopping the idea around. And there's a couple of things that come with this. One is refining the idea and the other is bringing other people into the discussion. So if I have an idea that requires, I don't know, let's say it's $10 million spend and I just go to the CEO and pitch it, usually the CEO is not warmed up Often they're thinking about other problems. They have a lot on their mind. They're not technical. They don't know the financial, operational, and all these other types of impacts to the organization. And you're showing up and asking them to make a decision for whom they need a team. You just blew it, right? So you create the team. Go to the CFO or whoever it is and say, how would this hit financially? Here's what I think the risk reduction is. What's your take on whether this is a worthwhile investment. Is there a way we can amortize this over time so it's more palatable on the books this year? On and on and on and on. Do that with everybody. And then when you walk into the CEO or the budget meeting or any of these other supposed one-stop shop decision-making where most of the action happens outside the meeting, you've already got allies, perhaps. You certainly have better language that relates to how the business thinks about what you're trying to do. And you can credibly say, I talked to person A, B, C, D, E, and F. Person A said, do this, we made that change. Person B said, do that, we made that change, so on and so forth. Everybody's pretty much in agreement. There's a little concern about X, Y, Z, but we're mostly aligned. Can we get the go ahead? That's a way different conversation. Do you think there will be, I mean, I don't know what you think about this, but we've talked about CISOs feeling like they're kind of on the periphery. Why is it that CISOs are not seen as, you know, like a, an equal role, that they're always, some of the CISOs that I speak to have felt that they are at the bottom of that kind of C-suite structure, you know, way at the bottom, yeah. uh, rung of the ladder. You know, is it because they don't produce a product as such, or, you know, they're not in charge of the finances? You know, why is that still occurring? So there are several answers to that, most of which are not under the CISO's control. So relative to other functions in any particular industry, company, market moment, you know what, the chief marketing officer is more important or the chief product officer because we're doing a big launch next year is more important or you know the legal team and the finance team is more important because we're doing a secret acquisition. You can't fight that. Those are not in your control. However, 
What I can say is that a CISO that shows up to a meeting with all those executives and only pays attention when the topic is cyber and yeah. only contributes to cyber will be seen as only cyber. They will not be seen as a business executive. And so there's, there's this hyper focus, again, kind of getting back to be really good at what you do and really dig in deep. If however you show up at a meeting as a CISO, using your cybersecurity honed skills, using the depth of experience you have in certain ways of thinking, approaches to problems, and doing things like seeing around corners, seeing potential problems, not in a no way, but in a, you know what, marketing, if you did that, is it possible this would happen? And could we somehow avoid it? And it's not cyber related. People start listening to you differently. People start wanting you to be there because you're you're becoming a part of the CEO's team and contributing to that. Somebody who only shows up, like if, if I'm any kind of executive and let's say it's AI and the AI leader shows up and only talks about AI and is kind of like on their laptop when it's not AI and is trying to triage something or, you know, they're writing a prompt while the CEO is talking about a financial issue. So there are things, look, not every CISO is gonna to report to the CEO. That's just not gonna happen, right? It doesn't work for some industries. It doesn't work for some CEOs. Frankly, cybersecurity, AI, new tech can be very intimidating. And the way we present it doesn't often help with that feeling. And so a very legitimate strategy for any leader is to put somebody else between them and the person they don't understand so that they can focus on what they need to. So that ability to communicate to all stakeholders about the thing that you're passionate about, but not scaring people, not going in with frightening statistics. And this is, you know, it's all doom and gloom if we don't spend, you know, all of this money. Two levels, scaring them in terms of the doom and gloom, but scaring them in terms of, look, these, these people are people too. If you, if you drop a bunch of tech and then ask them a question, do you think that makes them feel smart? Do you think it gives them a sense of authority when they should be the authority in the room? We're talking personal feelings here too. Nobody wants to look dumb. Nobody wants to have to say, some people are better than others, but if you keep on doing it to people where they always have to ask, I don't know, what does that mean? The goal of the CISO is to make cyber is to lean is for cyber to lean into the business and be a part of it right there's this this um and i hear it a lot um that this whole not at the table people don't understand cyber they don't understand the risk they don't understand what's going on they don't understand the consequences my response is what do you know about the business right right and it's it's harsh it can be harsh and it can be unsettling right especially for people that come in up in the field. We identify with this skill. We're proud of it and we should be. We're proud of the identity, the brand, this, this person that we created that's really good at this thing. And sometimes it's hard to step back from that. But success sometimes means stepping back from that. Marshall Goldsmith has a quote that I like, what got you here won't get you there. And so this, this idea that being better at cyber is going to get you more advancement is actually the opposite of what it will do because it tends to exclude other skills and perspectives that CEOs and their teams appreciate and value.
Gosh, it's fantastic. I just, you know, we, I think we could talk for hours. We are coming towards the end of our time and there's, there's a couple of more questions that I wanted to ask. For sure. I, I do think that you've covered most of the things that I wanted to, to talk about. So in one of your LinkedIn posts recently, uh, you talked about bridging the gap mm. um, and you've, you've talked to that, but other than kind of dismantling and, and hopefully dissolving these feelings of isolation, what are the other advantages of trying to work really closely with that CEO and that C-suite team for the CISO? Well, I mean, it sort of depends on your career goals and aspirations. If you want to stay more technical, you know, it's going to help you be more successful no matter what level of technical you are, or if you're technical management or whatever, or risk management, or however you want to frame your role. But I have had clients promoted to CTO because they stepped out of the cyber role and showed a prowess for technology in general and contributed mm -hmm. in those ways. If you want to become a CTO or a CIO or perhaps even the CEO, wouldn't that be fantastic to have a bunch of CISOs as CEOs? Those are some of the benefits. Isolation is a, uh, a sibling to stress. And so a feeling of isolation while on its own is just terrible to feel. The stress is also significant too. And when we talk about stress, it's often because we're solving problems on our own. And if we stop, stop sol solving problems on our own, we become less stressed. We are not, to quote my own post, rowing alone. This will keep more people in the field. It will keep us happier. Um, I've seen, again, I've seen the difference in the stress levels as a result of, of changing this approach. And so, and look, soft skills and doing these things will serve you no matter what. So they're eminently transferable. One other quick note on benefits. There's been a lot of coverage and some of it is has been, I'll say dramatic, around the SEC, mm -hmm. regulators, going after CISOs and the legal imperilment that CISOs face. It will say that, that there is some element to that that is true. Mm. However, there is a concept in corporate governance, legal liability, that basically says that a poorly conceived decision made in isolation can be the responsible of a single executive, but that a well-reasoned, well-discussed decision that was thoughtfully made with decent criteria is just a mistake. And if the company is set up properly and everybody has DNO and ENO, two types of insurances that protect executives, that conversation that you're building up to protects you legally because it was a group decision and it was a well thought out corporate decision, not yours and yours alone. So for those that are worried, you have a 90 to 95% solution to that worry if you do this. Oh, what a fantastic benefit to end on, because I know that, you know, a lot of people that I speak to in my role are concerned when we see all these big organisations that have been kind of hammered or the CISO has been hammered um, and that it's becoming increasingly litigious. I think that's an amazing benefit to, to end on. Uh, so what is the future for you? Um, what's next? How can people contact you if they want to use your services? Yeah, so um, my company is New Cyber Executive, uh, one word, dot com. They can find me on LinkedIn, which is kind of hard because Chris Brown is a common name. Um, and um, I'm happy to call, have a call. 
So contact me, and my email is chris at newcyberexecutive.com. Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn, you can find the company website, book a call there, you can email me. The future for me is sharing this message. I would love to grow my co coaching practice so that I can have more coaches that help CISOs overcome these challenges, stay in the field, contribute to our companies, communities, democracy, and help all of us avoid the risks that we know we face to the degree we can by being those better executives. So my goal is to get some of these mindsets out there, help people change the default path that they may be on so that they can be more executive as CEOs and ultimately by uh, being, being a better member of the CEO, CEO's team. And by doing that, therefore, raise up cyber, reduce risk. Right? So get the, getting the message out there, which is partially what the book is about, helping, helping people one-on-one, -on -one, um, helping people in groups, because sometimes the group discussion and group coaching can go a long way. Um, and just touch more people over the next several years. Because um, there's a lot of really good, smart, bright, competent, nice people out there yeah. that I don't want to see leave the field. So my goal is my goal is to bring more good people in and keep the ones we have. Fantastic. I wish you every success with, with your consultancy, with your book. I'm very excited about that. And, and thank you so much for your time. I always enjoy our chats. Thank you, Michelle. Great being here. Appreciate it.